Well, happy whatever day it is for you when you're listening to this podcast, everybody. We are sitting down for our Tech for Business podcast for part two of the CIT origin story. Yes, we had to give it some sort of fabulous name. So we had started off with part one with our founder, Chris Taylor, our current president and CEO, Kyle Etter, and then Andrew Dranik joined us from our strategic engagement. And today for part two, we got Tara as part of the Marketing Gals with me, Kelsey, sitting down to ask questions more about the start of CIT. We covered the early 80s, early 90s, hinted at Y2K, but today we're going to sit down and talk a little bit more about the office space, physical locations, everything like that. I'm going to jump right in with passing the baton off to Andrew to get our first question rolling. Thanks, Kelsey. Yeah, so so really just where was the first office? How big was it? And um... Why did you, you know, decide on that that first one? Yeah, so our first office was actually on the corner of uh, 494 and Valley Creek Road in Woodbury, which is the current location of the brand new Chick-fil-A here in Woodbury. That building was originally a bank building and a professional office building, two stories. Uh, we moved into the lower level, 600 square feet. And there was originally myself and Mark, Two of us, and then when we added uh, our first salesperson, Jeff Sayata, there was three of us in that space. And then we click, quickly ran out of space, and we moved upstairs to I think a thousand square feet, maybe not much bigger, but it had a couple offices, it had a little more open space. Um, and I think that was, I think that was when Kyle joined us, correct? Yeah, when we were yeah, we, we were upstairs, yeah, right, Kyle? Yeah, you were upstairs. Do you, yeah. you remember that space at all? Yeah, yeah, there was an entry, you know, it had kind of a reception front side of it, which we kind of doubled the, we had a server and stuff up front, <laughs> those things, and then had a little uh, storage slash break room, and then it had uh, basically uh, the two offices, you had kind of sales where Chris and and Mark and Jeff Sada sat, and then in the back second office became the, became the tech office, and that was uh, Chris Swen, and then myself, and then Soon, Greg Luchtenberg and a few others joined us in there. But yeah, so it, it had it had logic layout to it, you know, and allowed us to to function for sure. I mean, most of us were out out and about a lot, so it didn't uh, it didn't seem cramped at the time. Yeah, and the whole concept behind, I think I mentioned this on our episode one, was uh, find an office space somewhere between Woodbury and Lakeville off of the 484 loop uh, so we had easy access because we you know we have a lot of people in the field running around making sales calls doing technical service calls so it was really trying to find something in that you know kind of southeast corridor for easy access to the the loop to get around town so the Woodbury facility was the first one that went until about 1995 I believe and then we moved across the river into West St. Paul right off of 52 and Southview Boulevard into a, a strip office complex over there. And uh, that was there again, a little more space, a little more open space. We put some cubes up. Uh, we were there for, I think three years again, and then uh, found the current facility here in Woodbury, which is located in the Carver Lake Business Park, right off of Lake Road in 494. Um, we started in this facility I believe it was 99 um, is my, my best recollection there, but it's, it was a large facility. It was much more room than we needed. So we carved off the back half of the building and we leased that space out for about 
the first 10 years. And uh, I think one of our first tenants in the back of the building was um, Woodbury Math and Science Academy. They had started a new charter academy school here in Woodbury and uh, their school project was a new build that was behind schedule. So the city of Woodbury got a hold of us because they knew we had space in the back of our building and they said, hey, any chance we can have 160 kids hang out in the back of your building for three months <laughs> until our building's done? And we said, hey, what the heck, we'll, we'll figure out a way to make it work. Uh, it was pretty open space. That space was originally used for manufacturing. So they, they built a few walls, they put in a door or two, and we made the space work. So our first tenant was actually a, uh, the, the Math and Science Academy here at Woodbury, which has their own facility now and has way more than 160 students. So Yeah, they used to have school buses fly by in the morning. You'd be working there and a school bus come flying by the window after they dropped the kids off. So yeah, that was that was that was fun. The one thing I say in the West St. Paul side of it is that gave us the first warehouse space because we never never had warehouse space, but that kind of was the sign of the product. Part of the business was was growing and the need for that space. Mark Selner had joined us in that time and um, who's our current uh, product manager, one of the partners now as well. And he he was, you know, he needed space too. So that introduced the, you know, a, a technical bench plus warehouse. Um, which kind of showed the evolution side of it. And then obviously this facility had a tremendous warehouse space. <laughs> so, you know, it really, uh, really just kind of grown. The one side of it has always seemed the company always grew to the space that was provided. Eventually we just grew to the space side of it to the point pre-pandemic, we were busting at the seams at this building, you know, and um, even when you taken over the whole side of it. So the, the company's had a, had a tendency to grow to wherever, space we've we've uh, provided <laughs> definitely been the trend yeah i think that west st paul space i'm going to say somewhere between 2500 and 3000 square feet and like kyle said it had a it actually had a warehouse in the back it didn't have a it didn't have a, sh a dock level shipping space but it did have a shipping door and we were able to start moving product into a, an official assembly and warehouse and production area so like i said we stayed in that space and then when we when we purchased the facility here in Woodbury that had true dock, you know, a dock for, for semis and trucks to back up to and unload pallets of gear, a much larger production warehouse facility. We occupied the front 10,000 square feet at that point, and we leased out that back 10,000 square feet of the facility. And then over time, as we continue to expand and grow, and I think right around that same time, we, we acquired the, the software development organization, Aliatech. So we uh, we had brought them in, we moved them out of their facility on the west side of town, we moved in this facility here. So we took on another section of the building and then a company called Silestone, which was engineered, manufactured countertops, quartz countertops kind of moved into the other space. And they were there for quite a while, five plus years, I want to say. And then like Kyle said, we, we tended to grow into the space we moved into. So uh, by by 15 years in or so, we take, had taken over the whole facility, 20,000 square feet. And we were, uh, like Kyle mentioned, uh, pre-pandemic, we were running out of spots here, parking spots, office spots. We had done a couple remodels. Um, we were pretty much bursting at the seams here in this current facility uh, pre-pandemic. And then 
obviously with the pandemic changes over the last two and a half years, um, we have a healthy percent of our staff working remote or working hybrid. So, you know, in hindsight, it kind of helped with our office space problem. We also opened the facility in Rochester, so that helped. We have another facility in Rochester, Minnesota to offload some of the resources if needed and build resources down there. So today we, we've got a pretty uh, comfortable balance of uh, remote workers, hybrid workers, the facility in, Wood in Woodbury obviously is still kind of home base, and then we have the remote office down in Rochester. One of, so, one of the parts of that growth, just to kind of put in perspective, when we moved into this current facility side of it, there is also, um, we, we established some other companies. Chris mentioned, you know, we had acquired um, uh, Aliatech, which became our, you know, application development team. Uh, the cabling team had joined before that, um, which became part of our low voltage side of that, which really independent contractors, Steve Armel and those sides of it came on as permanent employees to help establish our low voltage team. Uh, we had brought on a, a consultant we worked with during the side of it. We formed another um, subsidiary company called ISM during the, that time period, which was our consulting um, wing that we had done. Uh, we had brought on uh, a group of trainers and that became CIT training. So we had another subsidiary company that existed at one time that was our training group. And that had a whole bunch of training subcontractors and a husband and wife team, uh, Dave and Holly Nelson, correct? Um, Chris, memory serves your okay. right side with it yep. that was leading up our training side of it. Just kind of showed that whole evolution of everything that was kind of in that 2000, you know, time period. There is just a tremendous amount of uh, a change occurring side with that. And we continue to kind of bring in extra talent side of that. And then, you know, as time's gone on, it's it's slowly it's it's all been just brought into into CIT as a full service. It was always presented to the. Uh, to our customers is obviously one group because it was all closely held, but it was it was uh, now just being brought in. But um, that that fueled a lot of that growth was just bringing in those those outside groups. Yeah. So so just talking about like departments and and the growth uh, and how we grew into building. So you had sales and the technical side. What was kind of the next evolution? What was the next step? Um, of CIT uh, for services wise. Application well, development was a big part. That was a big growth. Okay. And and in that time, especially you know, you're talking that that the win 2K time side of it, but there's just a, a tremendous amount of re, you know, rework of that middleware and custom application development was in high demand. It wasn't like today's world where you know you go to a cloud subscription like we talked about in past podcasts and you can just get you know, they're very dynamic in those early years sides with it, it. They were very limited. You got an accounting package or you had a, you know, a manufacturing side of it. There wasn't a lot of the ability to customize and get reports and allow businesses to, you know, create their own unique differentiator with how they use data and what it looked like. So the middleware was a tremendous, um, you know, growth demand on that side of it to really come to an organization and say we can customize this to get the data the way you want the way your business operates and so that was that was a huge growth area side for us um you know that added a lot of fuel and then managed services started to come to fruition around 2003 we had data co-location side of it that we developed with an isp side with it at one time uh called uh 
called SciHope side of it. We partnered with the local ISP and we data centered in their facility for a while and then eventually moved that to uh, to downtown Minneapolis where we still have a data center today um, that kind of grew and um, managed services evolved out of that as we getting, you know, this uh, contract agreement service really started to get it. So that was in its infancy side of it. And at the time it was initially just, you know, servers and those components, but you know, eventually we grew to that. We didn't answering the pager or looking at our BlackBerry at two in the morning was becoming a bit of a problem. So sooner or later we, we hired, you know, full-time staff and and redirected some of our field engineers to bring them in. And that's Rob Kramer is currently our director of managed services with, the, with our first full-time managed service um, individual side of that at that time. So he's still with us. Yeah, and really as the industry evolved, as did CIT, we continued to add on those things, right? Originally, it was really selling selling PCs and servers and selling services to connect those PCs and servers. From there, we added on, as Kyle mentioned, the low voltage cabling so we could, everyone needed cabling done to put in these new networks, so we, we needed a cabling crew. Uh, from there, uh, here comes Y2K, and there was all kinds of application and middleware and data needs because people were worried about what was gonna happen to all these applications when Y2K came. You know, right after that, then there comes the dot-com era where everyone was trying to take all their commerce and business onto the internet. So that drove more business for our development team and our software uh, application web development team. Um, that just continued to grow more and more networking because more and more organizations were moving workloads from minis and mainframes and supercomputers and rooms full of computers to servers. Well, that just pushed harder and harder on what then became our managed services team, which we had to figure out a way to manage all the stuff we were deploying, which you know in the, the early 2000s managed services came. Um, that continued to be a huge growth area as people tried to figure out, we're, we're putting in all these PCs and putting in all these servers, how do we manage them? How do we take care of them? Who's gonna maintain and, and keep them running? So that just continued to push our uh, our growth. And we just kind of followed the industry as it made its its changes and to really what we are today you know really that 130 person you know kind of it department that people use on an on-demand basis for everything it so we continue to follow and you know really in the last five to ten years it's just more and more security around that whole platform right so that's been the latest biggest growth in our industry is not only managing the technology but securely managing that technology so We've spent really last five years really enhancing what we do around security and, and, and developing a larger team and a whole um, security management team there that, that looks at all things security. So as the industry continues to evolve, we'll continue to change. We'll continue to add more, more and more, but it's really you know, been the biggest growth around management and security in the last five to 10 years. So, so when you looked at the middleware, the managed services, it seems like you guys went to acquisitions. It, it is, is that right? You want more acquisition than find a solution and build it within CIT. Am I picking up that kind of that right? It was a it was a combination of both, Andrew. Okay. We really, you know, there was a lot of organic growth inside, just continuing to grow what we do. But in order to add pieces of that and add personnel to that, the acquisition component came in, right? The Probably the biggest strategic acquisition was that 
development team, right? Because we really didn't have development expertise on staff. That's not a typical network engineer. So that acquisition of the traditional development team was more strategic because it was hard to organically grow that internally. So yeah, it was a combination of both. Yeah, managed services was internal and then AppDev was that external and we already had an existing subcontract relationship. So as customers were asking, um, the, the Allied Tech was the group we were bringing in to say, you know, work with this group for what you need. And then, you know, eventually conversations start out of that to say, you know what, You're, we're giving you so much of your business. All right, we're basically keeping them busy full time <laughs> or referring. It came kind of obvious that we, you know, had the synergy plus for for them to, you know, to merge accounting administration and all the other stuff, you know, really allows them to grow more, too. So, you know, there's a point where it makes sense. And that was similar with the cabling we were keeping uh, steve armel quite busy and to the point you know he he needed started needing help side of it so to be one contractor why not bring him in as a full-time employee at some point you know and so, so it kind of became obvious but it always started as a as a just uh you know contract, some contractor referral yeah. arrangement you know yeah yeah we, we we have like a mutual hey let's work together we're both kind of small uh you do this and then you grow together and say, hey, let's keep going. Yeah, and as we became, it really kind of that tipping point was when CIT became over 50% of their business, their book of business, it made sense to just merge that organization into our bigger picture, right? We had we had more economies. We had, we had a sales team. We had an administrative accounting team. We had other technical resources. So those are kind of those areas we looked at as we became you know, a healthy percentage of their book of business, a lot of cases it was north of 50%. It, it really made sense to either bring that group in or start our own group. So that was a lot of that growth. Hey, Andrew, do you mind if I um, buzz in and ask a question? Go for it. Okay. Get the buzzer. All right, buzz. <laughs> um, I did want, just from a marketing perspective, since Kelsey and I are on here, um, I hear stories about really CIT and kind of which customers they started with. So I'm curious if you both can talk a little bit about that of like what particular industry as you guys started in or even what part of Minnesota and Wisconsin kind of seem to be where you've got your footholds into. Yeah, we touched on this a little bit in episode one, but it really, you know, the other strategic location wise is we we wanted to work in western Wisconsin quite a bit. Um Myself and Mark both had non-compete uh, contracts when we left our prior organization. So in order to kind of step lightly on their toes, we could go over into Western Wisconsin and develop a lot of business. That business over there happened to be a lot of manufacturing business. Um, so manufacturing was a large part of what we did early on. Um, you know, one of the largest customers, in, one of our earliest customers was right up the street from our current office which was right between where our original office is and our office is today, a company called Echo Water Systems, which was one of the world's largest manufacturer of water softening systems. So that was probably our largest and earliest first real manufacturing customer. Um, and we continued to do that all over, you know, the east side of the metro into western Wisconsin. We went into those business parks and those manufacturing parks, and we continued to do a lot of business around uh, manufacturing seemed to be the niche back then. And then from there, I mean, it kind of just went industry-wide throughout everybody because the adoption of technology in all those businesses, not just manufacturing, but everybody started to use and replace what we talked about in episode one, replace the typewriter, replace the terminal with a 
real PC that could do a lot to run their business. And really, those businesses all were starting to lead on companies like CIT to help with that integration. How do we go forward? How do we how do we integrate this PC that everyone's buying uh, into our business? Right. So that became far and wide and everybody it really. But it's really the manufacturing that kind of launched us into that business space. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, time AS 400s. Um... And the AS400 to Nobel connectivity was what we did technically a lot. Um, wound up connecting that stuff a lot so someone could use their PC as an AS400 terminal. We did a lot of that, um, which it takes. It took some expertise to make that work. It wasn't uh, it wasn't trivial. So if we got a niche, niche in there, they kind of allowed us to get through that. I also spent a lot of time in a public school in southern Minnesota. We had some of the city, you know, cities we still work with today you know so we wound up connecting to that you know some of the relationships from our past employer at that pc express you know they they sought us out after a while i, I know i had uh, as a technician had a few clients you know eventually reach out and say i, I want to work with you you know and then they they came over as as the others did as we kind of joined you know we had previous relationships so they they eventually found us. Um, again, we were delicate on the non-compete, but you know, after a year that opened up as well as if they kind of searched us out, you know, we were able to maneuver through that. But um, you know, all those kind of allowed, you know, there was a lot of diversification. But yeah, I, I, I recall just like Chris did. I mean, working in a lot of manufacturing settings became very comfortable because we could really come in and know how to make uh, that Novell system connect to their AS400 very effectively. It is so question for the sales side and maybe you know for kyle too uh did you cold call when you were looking for new business you know were you like oh manufacturing you know like that page it was you know yellow pages white pages of the phone book right like going through and being like oh they're in the manufacturing section let's see you know who's there uh did you did you send out flyers like what was that like customer acquisition like uh in the yeah. early days good question and and, and uh, along that manufacturing line there was a book out there um called the manufacturer's register and it was a really a a industry a geographic location of all manufacturing companies that willing to, to release some information and they came up and this was a big book right and it was you know, we use the the traditional old yellow pages, which a lot of people don't remember these days. We use those as well, but we we tried to find more industry specific resources to call on. So that manufacturer register was probably one of our best marketing methods we used back in the day. And we didn't have a lot of marketing back in the day. Most of our business was word of mouth and reference, you know, referral type business. But when we did. And uh, I kind of led that sales team and we, we really made a lot of calls out of that manufacturer's register. It showed where they were. It showed how big they were. It showed how, you know, what industry they're in. But it was a really, really good sales and marketing tool for our team. And we've continued to do that throughout you know, our last 30 years of sales evolution. We continue to use those resources. We don't use as many printed uh, yellow pages and manufactured registers anymore because it's all digital. But uh, we continue to target those industries that we've traditionally done really, really well in. Um, but but to be honest, these days, everybody's using and everyone's touching technology. So that 
you know, that potential customer has really become everyone far and wide. We still have our niche and in our industries that we've done a lot of work in, but but really everyone has become that niche customer and, and there's all kinds of resources out there to find them. But yeah, good question. Yeah, like Kyle, I can see, you know, you going door to door, you know, you visit one manufacturer in a in a business park and then oh, I'll stop at these couple. Did you did you end up doing that at all? Or you're just like selling. The only time I was selling was just giving them, you know, you need to buy this to do this technically and then feeding that back to the sales team, you know, which, again, isn't really much different than what our current technical team does. You know, as you're in there working, you come up with recommendations on improvements to the system, make it happen. Like, you know, you need new cabling. You need to have a cable crew out there or understanding that seeing that they potentially could benefit from middleware and having the app dev team eventually come in. I mean, those were just being just straight up honest technically on to solve this problem. Here's what you need to do. Um, because again, they, they had very limited, you know, knowledge because everything was, was very, very new at that time. So having some experience or be able to kind of take from one customer to another and refer it, you know, and say this, I, this customer do this and it worked really well, you know, kind of fueled that, you know, that growth and kind of built that that referral base. You know, when Chris mentioned Echowater, um, the woman out there, Denise, I, I worked, you know, I was out at Echowater a lot, <laughs> a lot. They had me out there a lot. Um, and, and she became a big referral base, you know, and adding a big manufacturer like that with, uh, with uh, somebody who's a strong advocate, you know, really helped get more manufacturers because, you, you know, you refer to her, she says they, they're fantastic. I would, you know, I trust them implicitly and then, you know, get you another one and another one, you know, that's how, how you grow. You know, it was word of mouth was strong, you know, that's how it always continues to be. That's your best, best, uh, best sales tool ever. If you can get a strong referral, it always helps. Uh, yeah. Quick, quick question before we, we wrap up here. Uh, talking about acquisitions, did did you work with anybody or did anybody come to CIT offering to, you know, buy you guys out when you were growing? Um, and and what was that decision like, if it yeah. happened? All, all kinds of those opportunities along the way. And our, our industry was, you know, in really high growth and, and acquisition and growth mode. So there was a number of organizations that approached us over the last you know, it, it took probably until we became kind of a real organization. So we'll say it was five years into what we were doing. Um, those organizations started, you know, either knocking on the door or there were organizations that we knew of or we worked with. And and so they continued to, to you know, you were either being acquired or acquiring. Right. So that's how a lot of our industry has grown and, and continues to grow today. Right. There is a lot of consolidation. There is a lot of acquisition growth in our industry, it's an easy way to pick up resources and customers, right? So if you, if you find the right strategic organization, they're gonna look at you either to acquire you or be acquired. Um, so we, we had lots of those opportunities over the year, years and we chose to stay more on the, the you know, acquiring other bolt-on acquisitions to our team to expand CIT and who we were. Um, you know, we did go down the trail, you know, a, a time or two with a couple organizations that maybe made sense for us to, to merge or, or be acquired by them, but we never we never pulled that trigger. We, we stayed uh, who we are today. Thank you. 
that's all awesome and i'm gonna kind of cut us off before we talk for another half an hour because we can <laughs> uh, but thank you everybody for sitting down today and this was all great to know and i know we tangented a little bit all over the place but it was just interesting from multiple facets of what went on and i know that we'll probably have future podcast discussions from different departments because we've appreciated getting your viewpoints but as you guys mentioned there was a lot of different departments that came along and different things that happened so there's tons of podcast content marketing's favorite thing out there so by all means if anybody listening has a question something that they would like answered email us at info at cit-net.com or you can head on up to our website cit-net.com backslash podcast either place will get you directly connected with these guys or we'll ask it in a future podcast so keep an eye out for that but thanks again so much for chatting today guys and we will chat more next week thanks everyone